Amen. All right. Amen. All right, we have uh, our last service here this morning. Can I hear an amen? And as you can see, the lights are going to be different because we took the lights down and, and then um, there's no light on me this morning, so I'm in the dark and you're in the back in the light. Is that all right? We've got a good service plan for you this morning. Um, we got some visitors with us way over in Vegas. They came just this morning to visit us. Isn't that exciting? And then all the way over in Tennessee came. And then Indiana. We have a, a, a lot of people here that are just visiting with us this morning. So we praise the Lord for that. So we're going to get started this morning just thinking about our last service here. Okay. Uh, God has done some great things at Real Life. And um, God has called some of you here to be part of this church plant. And you came kicking and screaming, right? Others, others have come to church and, and God literally transformed your life here. And so as you think about, and I've talked to many of you, as you think about this being the last service here, many of you are, you know, bewildered. It is not bewildered. It's just you're... you're you're sentimental about this place. And understand, because this is where you were saved, this is where your life is transformed, and, and you like it because it's not a church setting. Okay? But just remember this one thing. This is a building. Can I hear an amen? amen. It's just a building. We have created an atmosphere, and that's really what you're, you gravitated to. But the other church is a little bit pewy, Okay, it's got pews, it's got pews, but uh, uh, it's, we got a picture up here of the building. What, this was the other night, I'm not sure if uh, you have one of up, up there, they'll work on that, but it's really cool, and even though it's a lot of pews, uh, we're going to make it look contemporary, all right? We're going to make it look like us, and so we're excited, but, but again, it's just a building. This is just a building. That's just a building. We are the church. We are real life. And we got to keep that in mind because as long as we're submissive to God, we just go where he wants us to go and, and reach who he wants us to reach. The bad thing about this setting here is the people that come in, you get to see who's late. Isn't that great? Hey, Russ. Amen. <laughs> it's a good thing we only have this one time a year, right? All right, so... So what we want to do, I'm sorry, Russ, what we want to do is uh, we want to just say goodbye this morning to, even though it's just a building. So we're going to ask uh, Mike to come up. He's going to thank the Lord for the location that he gave us here and the people that were saved. And uh, then he's going to thank the Lord for the new facility that God has given to us. So let's just go to the Lord. Brother Mike, go ahead and lead us. Amen. Thank you, Brother Mike. The only man has a tie on this morning. Amen? All right. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We were going to continue our thoughts on don't miss Christmas. Don't miss Christmas. Don't get so wrapped up in getting the right present and getting dinner just right and everything perfect where you get kind of wound up and you miss the most wonderful 
time of the year. Now, the world uses that, and it's really a cliche today, but it really is the most wonderful time of the year. And so we talked last week about the, the purposes of Christmas and, and how that uh, uh, there's kind of three thoughts on that and not in any order, but last week we talked about celebration. celebration Christmas is about celebrating, and it's about reconciliation, which we're going to talk about today, and it's also about salvation. But celebration, we talked about the message that the angels brought to um, the shepherds, and they told the shepherds, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. And that, just that, those three thoughts are fantastic. I bring you good news, which is so good that it brings great joy. In other words, it's a party. It's a time for a party. It's a time of celebration. This, this news is so fantastic that it's to celebrate. But the great thing is, it's not just a few people can celebrate. He says this good news, which will bring great joy to all people. So every single person, this news is specifically for all. And, and, and this good news, when you break it down, it's about the birth of Christ. But the birth of Christ communicates three things. Number one, that God loves us. That's what we talked about last week. Okay, The God of this universe, the one that spoke the worlds into existence. The one that reached down and, and made clay and to a body and then breathed into Adam the breath of life and he became a living soul. That God loves you and loves me. We are literally the focus and the attention of his love. Not just love, but agape love, which means he's doing what is best for us. I mean, that's the kind of love. And that literally should cause us to celebrate. Is it not worthy of celebrating the fact that God loves us? It is. Secondly, good news of that he loves us, but also we talked about last week is that the God of this universe, again, the sovereign God lives inside of us. He is with us. He will never abandon us. We'll, we'll never be forsaken. That's worth celebrating. It also, last of all, it's a great, it's, it, it's good news that brings great joy. And the last thing that causes us to celebrate is that that same sovereign God is for us. He is on our side. And all of these facts, it's, it's worth celebrating. So when we think about Christmas, we think about the fact that God loves us, He's with us, and He's for us. But today I want to go to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to look at the fact that we're going to talk about reconciliation. Now, reconciliation is kind of a big word, but all it means is that that two things that were two people that were at odds are brought together again. Reconciliation is is us and God, and there was something causing us to be at odds with each other, and God took that out of the way and allowed us to be reconciled. Christmas is all about that. Christmas is about the fact that Jesus took our sin, gave us his righteousness, and allowed us to have a relationship with God. Not a religion. A religion is man trying to reach God. Christianity is God reaching down to man, okay? So reconciliation is what Christmas is all about, and, and it brings us to that point, okay? But the thing that God has done to make this reconciliation possible is, to me, 
one of the greatest truths ever known. It's, it's, it's an event that causes me personally, and I, I believe everybody, to be amazed. It's, it's, it's just not that birth. It's so much more. It's the fact that God became human. And we're, we're going to get into that in a little bit, but what he did to, to make that first Christmas possible is, is several things. Every time you write, just before we get into that, every time you write a check and you put the date on your checkbook, you're referring to that first Christmas day. I want you to think about it. You, you heard of B.C. and A.D. B.C. is the time, you know, basically, you know, before Christ, before his birth. So when you look back, we're going to talk about 700 years, 740 years before Jesus Christ, there was this prophecy taking place that predicted this. But it, it's talked about 700 years before Christ, and every time you, you count backwards to zero, which is the point of Christ's birth, and then from that point on, you begin to count upward from the moment of Christ. I mean, the people that are denying Jesus Christ exist are literally constantly reminded of that truth. So, so we live at 2018 A.D. And what that is, is that's, that's 2,000 years from the birth of Christ. Now, a lot of people think that that's after death. But if you, if you go by that, then there's like 33 and a half years gone. And so it's, it's, it's really a Latin word, and it's anno domini. So I can, I can read Latin. Can, is anybody pressed here? <laughs> and it means the year of the Lord. So from the birth of Christ, it's been 2,000, almost 2,019 years from that event. So, so everything and our reference to dates and times refer to that very moment, even though the world is trying to deny him, they're constantly reminded of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it's, Christmas is more than just getting a great deal. It's more than family coming together, although family coming together is probably the best thing I love about Christmas, but, but it's more than that. It's more than the fried turkey. It's more than the good food. It's, it's so much more than what the world looks. It, it literally is God became human. So I want to read Matthew chapter 1 and verse, beginning in verse 18, and let's scoot on down to verse 23. As we look at this, this birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says this, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before they were married, the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, notice that, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Ghost. Now notice it doesn't say through the power of Joseph. Jesus was born of woman, but he not, was not born of a man. Because the sinful sinfulness of man is passed down from the man. I know that's hard to believe because we always blame Eve, right? She took 
Can I hear an amen? How many, how many? She took the fruit. And so everybody says, it's her fault. But really, the seed of Adam is passed down from man. So when it says that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit, now follow me here. The seed wasn't of man. The seed, the incorruptible seed of God was placed in Mary and she gave birth. So she, Jesus Christ, was completely human and yet completely divine. He was totally God. And we're going to see a little bit about that in a few minutes. But it goes on here. It says, uh, she became pregnant to the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now notice this. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for the child within her, now notice that word, was conceived of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to add the Holy Spirit of God. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, which he will save his people from their sins. And all this will occur to fulfill the Lord's message through the, his prophet. Now this is, this is the prophecy. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. A virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is in being interpreted God with us. Now, again, that's mind-boggling that the sovereign God of the universe would take on a human form for me, for you. I mean, it just, it's, it's like, if it was even possible, me taking on the form of an ant for the purpose of redeeming an ant. It doesn't even compute. Well, that, that's a million times different from the sovereign God and humans. But God loved us so. So I want to go back to that prophecy. If you will, turn to Isaiah 7, verse 10. Isaiah 7, verse 10. As we look at the prophecy that, that they're talking about in Matthew. Okay, verse 10. We'll begin there. After the Lord sent a message to King Asa, and this is the, the Lord, your God, Ask the Lord of God for a sign to confirm. Asa, make it as difficult as you want, as high as the heaven are in a place of death. In other words, you can ask anything of the Lord and he's going to give it to you to show you that he's going to keep his word. Okay? And it goes on. Listen to Asa's answer. Verse 12. But the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. Now that sounds like a spiritual answer. But as we're going to see, it's not. Then Isaiah said, listen well, for your royal family of David, isn't it enough that you've exhausted the human patient? Much more exhaust the patience of your God as well. Verse 14. All right then. The Lord himself will give you a sign. In other words, Asa asked the Lord for a sign. Asa said, no. I refuse this message that God has given me. Everybody following? I refuse to receive this message. I'm going to do something different. Okay? Then he goes on. He says, 
No, I will not test the Lord. Then he says, okay, listen well. He said, the Lord will give you a sign. Now notice the sign. Look, there's the same, same one. Look, the virgin will conceive a, a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now that all sounds spiritual. But let me give you the background of what's taking place. Syria was besieging Judah. Not Assyria, Syria. And that's kind of a big word. Besieging just means that they were preparing to come against Judah to wipe Judah out. And so, so, so they're coming to besiege. And God says, now listen, King Asa, you don't have to worry about this whatsoever. This is the message that Isaiah came and gave to the king. You don't have to worry about, I have this. Don't worry about Syria destroying you because I have it. And King Ahaz didn't like that because he had this plan behind the a backdoor plan that he was going to sell the Jews into slavery and then he was going to be set free himself. This was, this was his plan. And so he didn't like the Lord's plan. And so King said, okay, since you don't, won't come up with your own, here's a sign. 740 years from now, a son's going to be born. And it's going to be Christ. And he's going to save his people from their sin. Now, let me just back up a moment. The Lord gave the king Asa a sign, or uh, just gave him a, a word from the Lord. Isaiah came and gave him a word, just as you and I open the Bible and we get a word from the Lord. The Lord spoke to King Asa, and the king says, No, I'm not going to follow that. I got my own plans. There's consequences to that. Just, just for an application real quick, as we, as, before we get into the prophecy, when the Lord specifically asked his children to follow him, and we said, no, nah, we got our own plans. That's, that's exactly what he did. There's major, major consequences. I mean, like God's telling us how to raise our kids. God's telling us how to deal with our relationships, and so on. All these things, God has a plan how you should behave as a witness in front of your community, how you should be involved in church, how you should give. All of these things, God has a word. And when you push them aside, there's always consequences to that behavior. Okay, so you, you ask the question, well, how is this a sign? And here, here's, here's the application. Or here's the thought. Jesus Christ is born of the house of David and the tribe of Judah. Syria is bearing down, and God says, this is my promise to you. They're not going to destroy you. Don't worry about them. Because I have a plan for you. 740 years of your ancestors are going to bring. There's going to be this virgin of the tribe of Judah, your tribe, of the house of David. And She's going to bear a son who's going to be the savior of the world. This is my plan. So guess what? The enemy is not going to destroy you. Syria coming down, this is your promise. I've got this. Don't worry about it. 
Because the whole thing, I'm protecting you all the way down. They wanted to destroy him, wipe out. And God says, it ain't going to happen at least for 740 years. That was the sign. Why? Because I specifically have a plan for you. Everybody see that? Easy. Here's the idea. Is it not true that God has a plan for you and me? I mean, Paul puts it this way. He, was, he said, from the moment I was in my mother's womb, you had called me to be a preacher of the gospel. The same thing is true for you and I. When we were in our mother's womb, God had a plan and a purpose picked out for our lives. And the enemy cannot destroy that. They can't stop it. It's impossible. Now, here's the truth of the matter. Satan, the enemy, can't stop God's plan for our lives, but we can thwart his plan. We can sabotage his plan that he has for our lives. But Satan can't. I believe I had this verse up there. First, first John chapter 5 and verse 18. Do we have that back there? Don't have it. Okay. So let me just tell you what it says. It says that Satan cannot touch the children of the living God. Okay. Specifically, God, Satan cannot touch us unless God allows him to in the plan of God. It's just impossible to take place. Okay. Loso says, and the devil, the evil one cannot, it's not my words, touch us. He can't. The only one that can destroy what God's doing for our life is us. Satan has no power. He's a roaring lion, but he has no teeth unless we buy into his philosophy, unless we buy into his lies. Then he's got us worrying. He's got us fearful. He's got us going away from the plan of God because it's too scary to just surrender and give him our lives. So it's, it's literally Satan cannot touch us. So we have the same promise that Ahaz and all of the, the Israelites had down to the birth of Christ. It's no way that they're going to destroy Christ. So this sign is fantastic. The sign of Christmas has much more than just what meets the eye. Time is surrounded around it. Dates and history is surrounded around this birth of God becoming human. And, I mean, who in the world can predict all the details about the birth of Jesus Christ, only God. And the great thing is, God, that first Christmas morning, became human. That changes everything. That first Christmas changes everything. Because it wasn't just a man that was born. It wasn't a good man. It wasn't a prophet. Jesus was God. He is God. And he will always be God. When Jesus was teaching his disciples and training them, he asked them a question. He said, who do men say that I, the son of man, is? And they said, well, he's a prophet. They say you're a prophet. They say you're Elijah. You're John the Baptist. They're saying all kinds of things. And he said, okay, then who do you say that I am? And they said, the Christ, the son of God. And they answered correctly. That is the exact answer that every one of us should have. The answer of eternal life lies, rest on that answer. Do we believe that it was a prophet? Or do we believe truly that genuinely that he was the son of the living God? 
the Jewish leaders could believe that he was a human Messiah, but not a religious Messiah. And they were upset that he could actually forgive sins and that he could have a relationship with man. The point is simply this. God didn't send a message down. He didn't send a message down to humans. He didn't even send a messenger down to humans. He himself came down to give you a message. He didn't send somebody to redeem us. He himself came down to redeem us. Why did God take human form on? We're going to look at several scriptures to, to, to bear out the fact that God had to become human to pay for our sins. Look on the screen with me to 1 John, or John chapter 1 and verse 1. John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. In other words, the, the Word had always existed, even in the very beginning. has always existed. There never was a time when the Word did not exist. Now it also says, And the Word was with God. And the Word, what's it say? Was God. Now, what is the word? Who is the word? Well, verse 14, as you go through the context, bears it out for us. Look at verse 14. It brings to light the truth. And the word, listen very carefully, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us in verse 14. And that, then it goes on to say, and that the only begotten of the Son of God has revealed the Father and the glory of the Father. Okay, so, so the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. That's referring to Jesus Christ. Okay, so God. I'm, I'm telling you, the most amazing thing about Christmas is that God took on this flesh and blood. Why did He do that? To specifically pay for our sins. So let's go to 1 John, if you would. First uh, John chapter 4, verse 2 and three. First John four, two, and three. Let's look what it says. This is how we know if, if somebody has the Spirit of God. We're talking about a, a preacher. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God, if they personally claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in a real body. That person has the Spirit of God. In other words, if somebody's out there preaching and that Jesus Christ truly had this real body, he's of God. Notice the next verse. But if someone claims to be a prophet or a preacher and does not acknowledge the truth that Jesus truly had a real body, he is, keep on going, notice what it says, that person is a antichrist, which you have already heard is coming in the world, which is already existing. So, the person that says Jesus Christ did not take on human form is an antichrist. Okay, two more verses. First John, or second John chapter, or chapter one, verse seven. Look at that verse. I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world today. The attack on the deity of Christ today is huge. Okay? They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. 
Okay, so the bottom line is very powerful is that Jesus Christ came in a human body specifically to pay for your sins and my sins. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. One more verse here. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. Now he's talking about us. Because we have this body that's flesh and blood, notice what it says, the Son also came flesh and blood. So Jesus had to become flesh and blood. For what purpose? Notice what it says. For only as a human being could he die. He couldn't die as God. So he had to take on this human being, this form like you and I have, specifically for the purpose of dying. God couldn't die for our sins. So that huge event that happened that first Christmas, him taking on the body, was for the purpose. He came to die. Notice what it says. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil. The devil had the power of what? He had the power of death. But Jesus Christ, when he died, he broke the power of the devil who had the power of death. And so you and I, now that we have become a child of God, we accepted what he did on the cross, we are free from Satan and we're free from the power of death. No longer do we fear death. Matter of fact, we look forward to it because it's an upgrade. All right, we leave this world and we go on up to glory because, hey, it's a better place. The world cries. I was at a funeral one time. The wife was trying to climb into her husband's casket. I mean, she was weeping and crying. Why? Because there's no hope. It was over. And I'm standing there and she's trying to climb into there and grabbing her husband. It was a weird scene, but she had no hope. You and I, we know. I know when, when I close my eyes in this life, listen very carefully, when I, clo- when I first close my eyes in this life and it's over, I open them in glory. Why? Because Jesus Christ has broken, he's broken the grip of death. I'm no longer bound by Satan and his hold. When I, when I take my first breath, my last breath here, I take my first one. When I first take my last step here, I take my first one there. It's, it's instantaneous to be absent from the body. is to be present with the Lord. And it's only because of this. And I know it's, we're Christians and we heard this every year for so long, but I really want you to be staggered over this fact that God, this divine being, took on this human form for one purpose. Yeah, to reveal the, the, the glory of the Father, to have the pain that you and I have on a daily basis so that he could be a great high priest. But the main reason, and I don't want you to get miss this, is so that he could die for you and for me. Let's go back to the first Let's go back to Adam and Eve when they first sinned. Now, Adam was, if, was with Eve. Now, follow very carefully, okay? Follow real closely. Adam was with Eve when she partook of the fruit, the forbidden fruit. And she took it and she gave it to her stupid husband, and he did eat too. Amen? 
But let's just, let's just do for illustration's sake. Let's say that Adam was overworking in another part of the garden. Now, that didn't happen. Let's just say, for illustration's sake, that it did. He was off in another part of the garden, and Eve took the forbidden fruit and sinned. Possibly there would have been a didn't have possibly there could have been a conversation like this. God strolling in the cool of the day in the garden, coming over to Adam and saying, Adam, listen, I am so, so sorry. The bride that I created for you has sinned. And she has to die. I have to throw her out of the garden. Now, that conversation didn't take place. I'm just saying, illustration. It's like, how do you think he would have felt? We know he loved her because when she took the fruit, he took it with her because he'd rather be with her than with God. Okay, so we know there was this, there was this bonding there. He had his eyes wide open. She was deceived. Adam was not. He chose to take the fruit and walk away from God. So there was this bonding. There was this love. How do you think he felt? He was devastated. He would have been devastated. Thinking that his... Remember remember when God brought all the animals and there was not one found for Adam? There wasn't, wasn't one found for him. He was searching. He finally had the woman and his first words were, Wow! Whoa, baby. Or whoa, man. I mean, just wow. I mean, it was instant. So he would have been heartbroken. Now that, again, that story didn't happen, but I think there was a similar conversation took place. I believe when, when man sinned, God had to walk to God the Son. And tell him, son, I am so, so sorry. But your bride has sinned. And because she has sinned, she has to die. And no doubt, Jesus said, but I don't want her to. And, 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 and the father would, have, would, would say something like, but she has to. Because the wages of sin is death. And then the conversation would have went like this. uh, uh, Well, then I will die for her. I mean, I don't know the ramifications, but somewhere, somewhere in eternity past, there had to be some kind of decision that I'm going to pay the penalty. Because... Because Jesus Christ, no doubt, said to his father, Father, I would rather die than live without them. And so Christmas is all about that decision where Jesus Christ obeyed the father and they too came up with this fantastic plan to redeem us, to reconcile us back together with the father. So, so when you think of that first Christmas morning, it was, it was so much more than Christmas season, people are giving, giving like crazy. I get a free haircut out of it, amen? We just have this free giving. I mean, we just love to give. Everybody. But Christmas is, it's, it's about that child. It's about God who literally created us and blew in us the breath of life and we became a living soul. It's, it's, it's about him becoming a baby. 
where he had to depend on people. He had to depend on, depend on his mom. He, he had to be taught. He went to school. He had friends. He had a job. I mean, the God of the universe went through, I mean, temptation, attacks, scourging, crucifying, just because he loves us. I mean, that, that Christmas, I mean, it's, 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 it's beyond my description to get you to understand that, that God became human for you. For you. You've heard it over and over again. If you were the only person in the world, Jesus Christ would have came and died for you. Because there's nothing about us that draws us to God. It's just his nature to love. And he loved you so much that he took on this human form to die so that we might live. So I'm just simply saying this this morning. Don't miss it. Don't get wrapped up in all the other celebrations, which is good and fun and, I mean, fantastic, if you will. The, my whole family's here right now at Christmas time. So my son being here from Indiana it, and his wife just thrills us to death. And we're going to get together this afternoon. We're going to get together at Christmas. We're going to just have a great time of celebrating. But in all of the stuff that all of us do Let's not forget that one single event in history that changed the world. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we just come to you this morning. We just are so excited about what you have done for us. And and, uh, Father, we do get, we're just human and we do get wrapped up in all these other things. But I pray, Father, that, that you'd continually over the next few days, you'd bring us back to that truth of how much you love us and how much you care for us, and all that you went through, bringing certain kings in position, certain governments in position, for, the, for, for just the fullness of time to bring forth your son, and then that he be crucified, that we might have life. Our hearts are rejoicing over your love. We just want to say we love you, Father. We thank you. And now, Father, as we say goodbye this, this afternoon, this morning to this building, and we say hello to your, your great provision. May we stand in awe at what you're doing now, but wait, may we not forget what you've done in the past as we celebrate the most wonderful time of the year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And everybody said? Amen. All right, Jason's got some announcements for us.